What does the VFM consultation say? In this special episode of VFM, Nico and I go through the most hotly awaited pensions consultation since the last hotly awaited pensions consultation. So wow, Nico, we've got half an hour to talk about the VFM consultation. So how on earth are we going to do this? <laughs> uh, hi, Darren. Uh, so look, I, I don't think we can do any introductions, no news, no interviews. There's a lot in here. So uh, you all know me, guys. Uh, I'm Nico Aspinall. And I'm Darren Phil. Okay, so <laughs> how about we try to talk about what the consultation is, is, is trying to do first uh, as an overview. Um, and then maybe we can try and get into some of the detail in the sections and pick out the key proposals or maybe the bits that we're most interested in, I suspect, is where we'll go. Sure. Um, and then uh, if we get time at the end, we can try and come back together and, and think about just our thoughts on how successful this might be. That's probably layered through the whole <laughs> the whole podcast, right? Yeah, and I think it probably sets the agenda for future podcasts, doesn't it? A lot of this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there'll be loads for us to pick up in, in, in future episodes. So we've obviously both read it uh, cover to cover. We have both read it, right? No, we have. Yeah, no, we definitely have. Uh, um, you know, maybe this will be we will be sort of reading this consultation bits of it and refreshing our memory as, as we go <laughs> and stuff. But um, you know, perhaps everyone should be pausing the podcast now. You know, downloading the um, the VFM consultation and going from there. Yeah. So VFM, it is value for money, a framework on metrics, standards, and disclosures. Uh, cool. So. Uh, there are quite a few questions for response in here. So um, where, again, I think where our interest goes, we'll give you some quick lines and positions uh, to think about taking in your responses uh, because I am 100% sure that everybody out there in VFM land uh, is going to be responding, right? Well, and, and, and ultimately, you know, if you're listening to this podcast and you don't respond to the consultation, then, um, yeah, you need to take a look at yourself, really, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this must be one of the most important opportunities, really, to to influence DC pensions, how it kind of sees itself for a long time to come. Yeah, I think that's right. And um, the minister obviously launched this consultation mm. alongside a package of reforms um, earlier this week. You were lucky enough to be there. I was invited. They wouldn't let you in. Would no, they? they wouldn't. I know, they would not. I know you. much to. Well, you know, but you know, obviously they trust me more than you. Right? <laughs> I'm sure they do somehow. But it was really it, it was it was a good it was a good session actually, and um, the minister spoke really well. Um, you know, especially someone who has been in post for such a short amount of time, yep. um, but really focus the the package of reforms mm -hmm. um, on fairness, adequacy, and predictability, um, and very much saw the the value for money aspects as part of that sort of fairness narrative. And obviously, we've got things like the twenty seventeen review and getting people to save more and all of that type of stuff that we've touched on in in previous podcasts. And predictability. Well, you know, we also had a consultation on CDC, didn't we? Oh my goodness! Well, let's not go there. Let's not go there. Yeah, <laughs> There's anyway. only so much reading that we can do in forty eight hours. Um, and so we have done that reading, and and within uh, forty eight hours of the consultation coming up, that's when we're recording. So at sixty seven pages in the consultation, and I think twenty plus questions, we're going to make some errors, not deliberately. 
Um, but uh, I think we'd really like someone along from the DWP. I know we've been told that they listen. They have. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, uh, DWP, FCA, TPR, you are more than welcome to come along uh, and 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 correct us. Yeah. Um, and maybe tell us how we should be thinking about it. Yeah, and um, you know we can um, obviously use these podcasts as a way of sort of delivering some messages into yeah, them yeah. as well. And and I think this is a this is a fantastic piece of work. Yeah, let's yeah. let's let's you know, and it's and it's much needed and much necessary. And I think that you know there's lots of questions in the consultation. There always is on this stuff. There's more questions than answers. Yeah. Um, but the way that the regulators and the government is engaging and trying to sort of challenge some of these issues, yeah. might not agree with all they're saying. Sure. You know, we might be able to pick holes in it and I'm sure they can pick holes in the industry's position on stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But having that conversation and doing the work properly, yeah, um, is this is the sort of potential price from this consultation. Yeah, yeah. it's not simple, is it? And, it, and it's not quick. And uh, a lot of thinking has gone in. A lot yeah. of thinking has gone yeah. in. Great. So, should we start trying to do an overview? Um, let me mute my computer. You might have picked up oh, a little gosh. notification there. Okay. So, um, look, we've obviously had value for money requirements already, um, but I, they're, they're kind of a bit obscure, aren't they? They're, they're hidden away in chair statements yep. and IGC reports. Uh, and to my knowledge, I'm not aware that anybody has re- rated themselves yet as being bad value. They probably haven't, but I know Henry Tepper and his book probably has. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I mean, one of the points is around the independence, I guess, of the uh, of the assessment, but then also just the market coming together to share their assessments and see where relative value is. Yeah, and I think it's quite, you know, it has been a sort of tricky issue yeah. um, for providers and, and, and schemes because a lot of this stuff was new. Um, with the chair statements in particular, which is very close to my heart. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, what what is the purpose of the chair statement? And uh-huh. it was was it a, an, a member facing document or was it a governance facing document? And it was all a bit confused. Yeah. Um, and I think that um, you know we obviously in the first few batches of chair statements had lots of fines issued yeah. um, for non-compliance but I think you know, in a way some of that was unfair because I don't think people knew what they were were trying to hit and trying yeah. to target yeah. and stuff. So you know. Yes, we've, we've got that so far. And it provides a platform. I'm yep. not going to say a good platform, but it provides a platform from which to have the conversation that yep. is being sparked by this consultation. Yeah, yeah. And I, 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 I haven't put it down in my notes, but it makes me think of the TCFD reports as well, yeah. where it's much clearer actually with TCFD that it's a process that they want well-governed schemes to go through. Um, and the report itself, you know, they're taking this um, slightly looser kind of regulatory approach with it, so there's no mandatory fines for, for kind of uh, non-compliance. Yeah. I, I suspect if you don't file one, you can get yeah. you can get. I think pinned. that's fair enough, isn't it? So there's this sense of letting the industry develop best practice in climate change uh, risk management. Um, and, yeah, I guess we hope that that's going to be more the case with the VFM stuff. Yeah, so we've got the chair statements and we've got the IGC assessments, but yep. there's more stringent requirements for schemes below hundred pound, a hundred hundred pound, hundred million pounds. Um, and you know, do, Nico, what what's already there? Well, <laughs> this is this is uh, slightly outside of my expertise, but yeah, if you're sub hundred million pounds, um, then you have to essentially compare yourself to a bigger scheme uh, and understand if it would be better value for your members for you to consolidate. Yep. Now, I, I think those requirements they are in force, but they're still early days, so I'm, yep. I'm not aware if that's had any uh, kind of kind of results as such. Yeah, it's not it's not sort of shifted the dial on this stuff yet, has it? And I, it, it takes time for this stuff to be. It will, yeah. I mean, if you think about you know you complete a scheme year, you get. Uh, what seven eight months to kind of file an annual return 
that's the time that the thinking might be starting to be done. There's then a process of, you know, going to an employer, because really we're talking about single employer trusts here, going to an employer saying, as trustees, we think you'd be better value if you found another scheme. All of this will be confidential, essentially, won't they? So um, until that employer has kind of like accepted that, gone through some sort of a selection exercise, you know, when are the announcements going to come out? It could still be more than a year, I guess, yeah, before no, we really no, start to I'm see sure that's right. And, and, and time frames is something we'll probably come on to talk about on some of this stuff. So, you yeah. know, what time frame are you assessing value over and, and all of that? There's some yeah. of the big questions yeah. that yeah. come out of this out of this com- consultation. So, you know, like, this is a long consultation document. DWP love putting long <laughs> consultation <laughs> documents together, don't they? Um, and, um, you know, it puts some of the meat on the bones of how to do it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's, as we were saying at the start, there's quite a lot of questions back to the industry yeah. um, in a lot of places. And, 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 and do we really think that it's moved the debate on in mm. terms of the detail? Or is it more providing the framework on which the detail can be discussed? Yeah, yeah. and of course this builds on a consultation that they did in, I'm going to say, September, October 21. Uh, which I can't remember exactly the title, but it was like value for money in pensions. Um, was that, the, that was a joint TPA FCA. To, well, sorry, so is TPR. this, right? So yeah. is this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so, uh, you know, it's been uh, 15, 16 months, um, and I wouldn't say we're at square one, but really what's changed in here, I would say, is the sense that they need to enforce measures on the basis of value for money assessments. Um, so the framework stuff will come on to. Yeah. Um, I think that's. Yeah, one of my, the strategic uh, kind of bones in my body kind of wince slightly, but we'll come on to that. Um, but that sense that this has got a, this has got real teeth, I think, is stronger in this. Yeah, and they talk in the consultation about giving their pensions regulator potentially new powers yeah. to actually enforce this. And, yeah. and I think that, you know, quite often we've relied on transparency, reporting, governance to do its job. Yeah. Um, and I just get the sense of a change in tack. Yeah. Um, with this, yeah. you know, yeah. pretty, there's probably people in regulators and DWP thinking, yeah, you know, the, the, the transparency experiment has sort of, you know, it's made a bit of a difference, but we really need to move the dial yeah. because we know that the ultimate aim on this from government and regulators is obviously better schemes, better outcomes, yeah. but actually they want consolidated pensions, don't they? Yeah, yeah. And I think they look at MV, in NV at like Australia um, and uh, are podcast this week is with with Greg McClymont who will talk about how brilliant Australia is and how scale scale works but obviously in Australia um, essentially you've got performance benchmarks and if you slip below those benchmarks then you need to come and explain and if you slip below multiple years in a row then you will be consolidated yeah um, so that sense of the the regulator environment has to compel value for money I think is what comes out yeah loud and clear yeah okay so look um, there's a lot of questions in here, um, and, and some of them are kind of playing back, you know, what we should do about it, which is, I guess, sort of my disappointment that um, there's further consultations to come. I, I'm also excited because I know that we can keep this podcast going for, for, for many years to come, probably. Um, but yeah, we'll, 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 we'll try and pick up those, uh, those points as we go. Um, so yeah, fundamentally, and this is, I guess, my first disappointment um so the fundamental process is to have three pillars of value for money so uh for those of you reading along page 24 is the kind of illustration of this uh, which is like a series of cogs and belts and, and stuff around um i'm not sure that's my metaphor for dc scheme but there we go um and look so one is investment performance one pillar uh one is service and governance and then the final pillar is cost ah. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you've fallen into the, the trap already. Right. And so I I just, I get confused here, right? So um, how can, surely you have to assess value mm. and then you have to try and find, you know, similarly valuable products around the provider space and then compare the costs mm. and the one which is cheapest has got the best value for money right yeah um so i was trying to think of a good metaphor a good analogy like if if i said to you um would you like a ferrari right we used three fridge freezers i think with david butcher didn't we oh, okay uh, fridges, didn't we all yeah. right let's let's say let's let's have a oh sway leg i can't i don't know any <laughs> freezer brands there we go but like here is an equivalent energy rated kind of capacity fridge freezer yeah um, the first conversation is like, you know, where do you want to be on the fridge freezer spectrum, right? So, what features do you want? What's in it for me? Type stuff, right? Ice cubes. Ice cubes. You need a, you need an ice cube maker. So I do too. That'd be great. Um, so <laughs> we've got fridge envy already. Um, so, but then the second conversation would be okay. So I go to every shop, and within my specifications, I'm going to find what the cheapest is. Yep. I think. Yep. Or the most convenient to be delivered to my house. Yeah. There might be some there, other. There's other factors. Yeah. And then um, when it was available, were you yep. waiting two months rather yep. than getting it tomorrow? Absolutely. You know? So, so I'm, in the kind of purchasing decision is going to be price. Yeah. Um, but here, I think I'm comparing like uh, a fridge at minus a hundred pounds, a fridge at minus two hundred pounds, mm. with a fridge at minus a hundred pounds, mm. and it, I just I I get confused, and maybe it's my kind of actuarial spreadsheet. How do I spreadsheet this? Right, <laughs> this is where I get to. It's all mixed in. Yeah. So, so I, I think when you when 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 you sort of talk about performance, they, and I think this is what you're saying, that the the cost is embedded within that, especially if you're looking at net performance, and um, you know, almost like you're using cost as a metric twice. Yes. You know, so you could say. So I want to look at gross performance. Yeah. So, so there's 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 double counting then. You, well, you know, so it was mentally. So I don't think. Uh, so I don't think it's a problem in terms of like how you do the assessment. I think it's a problem in terms of the thinking that you do as you do that assessment. Right. So I think you should be looking at gross performance, and then you should be looking at. So then we can compare across the industry what gross performance looks like, and then we can say, okay, so me as a member of this, you know, as an employee of this corner shop, desperately expensive for these guys to procure a pension. Yep. That gross performance gets deducted the costs which represent the, my pot size and my average contributions or the number of uh, people on the payroll. Yeah. Um, and then this one over here, which, uh, you know, I work for Sainsbury's and there's hundreds of thousands of us. And obviously Sainsbury's can go and procure that net performance cheaper. Yep. Um, now, this is, I think, you know, this is a better comparison. It's, it just it just makes more sense to me. But... There's, there are many ways to <laughs> to, to get so, to this so, problem, right? So, but this is quite an interesting one because I, I sort of go around in circles and I hear different views on mm. whether you should be presenting gross performance versus net performance. Yeah. And I think what you're saying is that if you're going to have costs as, and charges as a, as a pillar yep. of the assessment, then it makes sense to compare gross investment performance because it's... Well, whether it's a pillar, I, I just want them... I want a clean pillar, right? Right. Or a clean denominator. That's how I'd frame it. Yeah. So there's the stuff of value, and then there's the stuff of for money. Yeah. And I just don't want value for money for money. That feels to me like where okay. this is. Yeah. Because that's quite interesting, isn't it? Because as I say, like, there's, there's probably um, <laughs> you know, like there's there's probably quite different views. Um, I'd imagine between regulators within yeah. DWP and of course across the industry on on, on some of this stuff. Yeah, so I, I, I feel like we're in this position because the industry has said, Oh, that's a very difficult number for me to generate. Yeah. 
Um, okay, but so so this is the kind of overview, right? So <laughs> we're already do, diving into it. So I do think that there is a better understanding here of the kind of middle pillar, which is the kind of service and governance. Those are my words, not the words in the consultation. Yeah. So uh, and it's very focused on your elements of service and governance, which improve outcomes for members. Yes. So not the bog standard, oh my gosh, can you process a contribution? Yeah. Or do you answer a call? Well, the, the, it might be in. It might be, but... If you believe that's linked to a better outcome for members. Now, now, but this is where I think the ambition here to be objective is, like, really strange. Because I think every institution will have a subjective view as to which bits of those service are important. But that, that comes out naturally in different proposition developments doesn't it so you're, you you know you could quite understandably have an organization that um you know maybe large automatic enrollment master trust which is totally focused on defaults and the strength of the default yeah, and the power yeah, of yeah. the default and all of that type of stuff yes there's some good communications around it and all of that but actually they judge their success on people staying in yeah. delivering good outcomes performance of the default yeah yeah Whereas, but the people staying in so if i have a really bad customer experience trying to get out uh, an expression wish form in or trying to change my address or doing anything that yeah. I might do before I get to 50 and start worrying about what I think is really important, which is selecting how I might retire because that really should change your investments. Yep. If I have that kind of bad customer experience, then I think there's a reasonable chance I'll, I'll opt out or, or move to another scheme. And that must also be a, you know part of the outcome that you discuss. Yeah, right? and I, I suppose it depends on which way of the end of the telescope we look at this stuff because I don't think stuff like that should be deemed as good value for money you know just basic customer service and you know basic admin stuff but get it wrong yeah, and it is it's a bad, it's bad, it's bad <laughs> yeah. value for money yeah. so um, yeah no, that's um, yeah and I'm, I'm sure we'll come back to that as well but um, but yeah no I, 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 I thought that was more developed but, I, but I, I, I do think that you know are they are they sort of leaving it for um, the industry to determine that the outcomes that they want their scheme to achieve or do you think we need to get to a point where you know regulators and government needs to sort of specify what those outcomes are because I think I remember calling now and this this is hazy memory reading this <laughs> document last night or whatever because um, I knew you'd quiz me on it as well. <laughs> um, but they do talk about um, net promoter scores yeah yeah, 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 net promoter scores, yeah but you know like you know, who do you promote it to who, who do you promote it to but also um, I think there's a key question there about consistency between net promoter scores yeah, um, yeah, you know, yeah. and what they actually mean. Um, you know, I've judged a lot of award submissions where people uh-huh. have put net promoter scores in, and you can't compare one net promoter score with another because you're asking different questions yeah. and and all of that type of stuff. So if you're going to go like down that route, you need that standardisation. You need the consistency. Well, but this is where I I I, I fear the consistency and standardisation. I really do. So if we compare Nest with Fidelity, right? Uh, other other, other schemes are available and other like, providers are available. There's, there's a spectrum here as to who they are targeting. Yes. And, um, you know, people will be comp- competing with Fidelity for Fidelity-type business, but Nest is not one of them. Yeah. Right? And so in Nest, you're going to be saying, okay, I need minimum standards of customer service because really I'm expecting you to be in the default and running up to a point where you retire probably, you know, close to being in cash, 
because you're not accruing a huge amount of money mm. and you're not going to be going off to Hoggy's Lansdowne Sips, other Sips are available, to do like a post-retirement. We're not, we're not uh, the BBC, so we can name any we brands we like, but we're not slagging them off either. No. Um, so, uh, but, but, but if you are in a fidelity or a, a, you know, a higher um, uh, contribution rate, a wealthier segment master trust or any kind of provider platform, then actually maybe what you want is self-select. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Maybe what you want is contribution flexibility because your employer is better plugged in than they would be to Nest. Maybe what you want is a helpline who can give you advice or guidance or whatever. Yep. And those features are valued by that customer base differently to Nest. But and if we just have one standard, how do you? No, exactly. How yeah. do you possibly say? You basically have to say to either Nest or Fidelity or others, you are bad value for yeah, money. Yeah. Yeah. And and yeah. And I think that's why sort of where I came into this, which is it's totally right and justified that different people or different organisations have different product, product um, different propositions. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and sort of sort of attack the problem in a different way, as long as the way of attacking that problem yeah, is aligned with the needs of the customer base. Correct. And I think that's yeah. the bit that, yeah. you know, needs more work, actually. So I don't want to be too philosophical <laughs> this early in the morning. It depends what time you're listening yeah. to it. But this early in the morning for us. Um, so I think this is epistemology. So our sense of what, how we construct the problem of the world. Yeah. And really what the TPR should be talking about is something like metacognition, meta-epistemology, which is be transparent about how you got to the result of thinking that your customers would value these things. Yes. And then go and assess them. Yes. Right? So, so that process is subjective. Hmm. And it takes a really well-governed board, I think, good relationship with the provider and the board, Probably a really engaged employer. I mean, the, the, the employer is like really missing from this, right? But if you jump too quickly down to the lower level, you're just either going to get apples or you're going to get pears mm. and not a process to, to actually compare apples yeah. and pears. So, so we're going to get like, we're running out of time already, Nico. Like, um, we're going to be, you know, we, we are strictly going to keep this to. to well, we have a guest coming. We right? do, we do, we do. Um, so. One of the outcomes from this value for money assessment is, if I understand it um, correctly, a rag rating. Yeah. So red, amber, green. Yeah. Well, should we go back one step? So uh, not to try and take more time, but in terms of the process, yep. as I understand it, and maybe you can correct me, there's this reference data that the schemes receive, which is based on a single date. And I think that's yes. quite radical. Yeah. So uh, I think, I don't know if they're asking but, the question, the 30th of important. June, that's, that's really important. Yeah. So that everybody's performance is based off of the same market conditions. Yeah. So you get this data and then the trustees have a time period and that is discussed, it's a, it's a sort of choice to go and kind of digest that. Yeah. So from the 30th of June every year, you'll be going into the end of Q1 the next year for getting the reference data. And then there will be a period for the trustees to go and discuss it. Yeah. Um, and then the outcome of that will be a RAG rating. Yeah. Um, and it's essentially uh, red, there's no prospect of us becoming value for money. Amber, we're not value for money, but we know the actions we need to take. And then yeah. I think the regulator will be making sure you take those actions. And green, we are value for money. And sort of hidden away, here are some actions that are going to improve our value for money. Yeah, it shouldn't be a static measure, should it? Like it, we, should, it we should always look for continuous improvement in this space. Well, I guess, I guess the issue with any... Uh, categorization rating system is that as soon as you're green, you're green, right? Yeah. So they're kind of going like, don't rest in your laurels yeah, just because yeah. you're green. You need surely to have, you will have identified, it might be green on average, but there will be buckets where you're amber and red, right? Mm. So you need to be improving those. And indeed, 
as you say, the kind of benchmark of what green will be should improve over time. Would any master trust rate themselves other than green? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so there's, there's a problem already then in, in some of this stuff. In, uh, well, will any single employer trusts rate themselves other than green? Um, you know, when they say subjectively what the members value is the fact that the, the scheme is run by the employer mm. or set up by the employer and the comms are very bespoke and, you know, maybe they link into my legacy DB benefits a lot better and yeah. all of those kind of things. I, I, you know, they set them up for a reason. Yeah. Um, so does that reason still apply? Maybe not. Most of the reason to get rid of it is because the trustees are now overloaded with regulations. Yeah. It's not necessarily because they're doing a bad job for the members. It's that that good job now includes, you know, will include TCFD and it will include chair statements, which, you know, there's just a lot of uh, uh, data stuff, crunching. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. So. And, and you said um, a minute ago that the, the role of the employer... Yeah. is lacking yeah. from this. Yeah. Um, so do, do you want to expand on that in terms of yeah, look, what I mean, thoughts are? So the, the whole narrative here is if we improve transparency and value for money, then we'll create a more competitive industry. Yeah, it goes back to the OFT report, doesn't it? Like like all the way. Side and, you know, that was 2014, 2015. Yeah, I that's think, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So all the way back to that. Um, but nobody in here, nowhere in here really is a sense that the employer is in the driving seat for that competitive action. Yep. So the employer is the one who must be digesting the value for money report of their providers, yep. comparing them with other prospective employers, uh, providers, and, and selecting a better value for money, one, one if this is amber, right, or this is red, and all those kind of stuff. Mm. So, it, you know, if you read it, it says like, oh, the trustees will improve their value for money on the basis of reading other value for money submissions. It's like, I, I don't really... There's various points where you kind of sit there and go, like, I'm not sure. How would I as a trustee have addressed that? Mm. You know, I go and read Nesta Brilliant Value. Okay. You know, so what do I do on the back of that? Yeah. Um, I don't I don't exactly know. Now, the employer might say, what I do is I, I kill that scheme and I move you to Nest. Mm. And that's where the competitiveness, I think, would come. But, you know, all of those schemes that... You know, um, or, or sorry, all of those employers that got pensions for the first time under auto enrolment. Yeah. You know, north of a million of them. Yeah. That you know, yes, they probably do want to provide good pensions for their staff, and they're n not against auto enrolment and stuff. Yeah. But you know, they probably chose it on the basis of payroll integration, what's most easy from them from an admin perspective and stuff. You know, them introducing and administering, you know, a government yeah. policy. Yeah. Are they really going to sort of, you know, look at this on a regular basis and sort of move if, um, you know, someone might be amber with a couple of areas for improvement? Well, but this is where I feel there's a, there's a missed opportunity. I think you need to give them a duty in law to look at value for money. To give employers a duty. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and until you do, no. I mean, like, why would I? Mm. I mean, you know, we're going through an economic slump. I've got staff who want to increase their wages on the basis of the cost of living. I've got customers who want to reduce their spending on the basis of cost. I mean, like, where on earth? When I was at Towers Watson, somebody, somebody would call this a, a five to midnight Sunday evening problem. Right. Right, which is like, it's definitely on my register, but there's absolutely no way I'm spending a waking moment really thinking deeply about it mm. and getting it prioritised yeah. up. So yeah. until there's a duty in law on employers to sort this out, I can't see how it gets sorted out. But that's not going to happen, is it? Well, give it five years. Maybe five years, right? yeah, so but it's so not going to happen anytime soon. Oh, no. Mm. That'll be the, uh, the, the final episode. Oh, sorry, what we should say because um, uh, I'm conscious we might not get into the detail. <laughs> We're not going to get into the detail at all. What we should say is uh, that um, on investments, so they, in terms of cost, they have split 
which I, I feel personally influential, uh, and I know Darren, you've, you've been on the same page too. They, so they have split essentially discussions about the costs of investment and the costs of the other stuff, the so service and governance. You've stolen right. my fund, because oh, okay. that was going to be the last bit of, uh, oh, was of this podcast. <laughs> but go on, carry on, carry on. <laughs> well, I think this is vital, and it comes back to comparing uh, fridge freezers and, and Ferraris. Um, you know, when I look at the cost of the product versus the process of selling it to me or just delivering it to my house and all that kind of stuff of mm. maintaining it later, they are distinct things. Yeah. Uh, the core product here is the investment returns. I don't think we're annoying too many people outside of the investment side of DC to say that. Right. Ultimately, that's the thing that enables people to eat in retirement. Um, and so, yeah, I really welcome the idea that you can separately talk about investment costs. Yeah, I think that's a game changer, actually. Now, yeah. it comes with a whole bunch of problems. Oh, yeah. Right. Which is that these businesses have never thought separately about their investment costs. So you think about places where all of the solution is outsourced to an investment manager. That is basically now your all in cost that you get bidded from mm. uh, like an Alliance Bernstein and yeah. other outsource providers. Sort of thing. Um, when I have, let's say, LNG or that Fidelity Master Trust, and a lot of the investment costs are essentially my investment management teams in the provider or expertise, which is just time, you know, it's not timesheet accounted for, is it? It's just sort of side of the desk stuff. Mm. Um, they've got to now go and back and disentangle every pound which you know wooden pounds internally which is which is dedicated to investment yeah. when i think about the internal team that i had at the tpp you know that's on the on the billet yeah. but then what about the people who prepare the papers for all of the trustee committees and one of them is an investment committee mm. right so there's a number of places where i'm sure the industry is screaming yeah right? from as being an implementation perspective yeah. i think i think that's probably right but you know, I always thought that, you know, if you if you want to understand, you know, value for money and if you want to understand your commerciality and profit properly and all of that type of stuff, then if you don't have that breakdown, then you're going to be guessing a bit, aren't you? Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. So so ultimately, I think, yes, this is a new burden. Yeah. I think it's um, it's one of those ones where it's a necessary burden because yeah. I think that from a value for money and transparency perspective, it's all important. But actually, I think, you know, providers will probably look back in a few years time and think, Okay, this actually helps us. Yeah, you know, I, I, and I think agree. it helps and Im, and, Im, and improves the business and stuff. Um, so we are we are totally up against it. So, okay. So the one thing um, I just wanted to finish up on. Well, well, I don't we have one thing each. Okay. Yeah? Um, um, and we'll, we, we, you know, we, we never keep to time anyway, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> um, we we've, we've sort of alluded to the fact that um, this is a DWP consultation with an FCA consultation and a TPR consultation. So yeah. you, you got those three bodies together. Yeah. yeah? Um, Treasury, you know, obviously doesn't. You know, uh, stoop to sort of such low levels to be yeah. named on a consultation like this, but obviously it's a key player and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, there's there's stuff that's relevant from a TPR perspective. There's stuff that's relevant from an FCA perspective. They they're trying to get to similar outcomes, yeah. But they have to sort of get there um, in different ways. You know, is this document Nico a tacit implicit? In, in, um, a, 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 you know, a, a tacit admission. Admission. admission <laughs> yeah. The um, you know the whole sort of to regulatory system that we've got is is sort of creaking and do we need a single dc regulator yes we absolutely do of course we do i think you you, you maybe asked that question knowing my response yeah <laughs> um no i mean uh, you know having essentially a turf war and even just like a semantic war between two different regulators over what people have put what employers have put people into just makes no sense mm -hmm. so i think there should be a workplace regulator yeah um yeah so i uh, i think my 
Oh, you say one, I might, I might steal two. Oh, Nick, you always do this. <laughs> you do this in the news section in the regular podcast. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, one is just to realise the volume of data that that is included in the VFM uh, framework data, right? So, it's huge, isn't it? So uh, it's not just investment performance of your main default; it's investment performance of any default. But because, of course. I can't. I have to net off all of these costs. Now I have to start banding the costs by size. Of size, size. Well, AUM is the one that they've settled on. Yeah. I think that's less instructive. I think, uh, and maybe a pricing uh, insurance company actuarial person would like to tell us. But I think AUM is probably less instructive than number of people and payroll slash contribution premiums. Yeah. So the idea is that you'd have be able to, as an employer look at some data and go like, oh, well, that is me, that is me, that is me. And so you'll have uh, banding by AUM for sure. I think I'll be pushing to say banding by probably average premium, but I think probably the payroll size is probably more instructive. Yeah, I think that's right. Actually. And then banding by age cohort. Yep. Then you're going to have two risk measures, max drawdown. I think max drawdown is a total waste of time. Um, and uh, essentially volatility, standard deviation. Yep. Um, and so I, I calculated, if you multiply those all together, we're talking past 3,000 data points before. Oh, but now, obviously, I suspect there's going to be, rather than multiplying those together, separate tables where I go, like, I'm that employer, how do I make sense of myself? I'm that employer, how do I make sense? I don't know. Yeah. But ultimately, just give, <laughs> give the performance data out, gross it up, give the performance data out. That would be my PA. Yeah. Um, and then the second one, sorry, is um, that there's further, there's further phases to this, even beyond the consultation. Yes. Um, so there, this is going to apply to um, uh, defaults. The phase two, which is just like a big bucket of stuff, is um, uh, phase two is uh, looking at uh, decumulation, potentially, self-select, potentially, and other non-workplace types of arrangements, potentially. Now, my sense is that that's, phase two is years away. Yeah. I, can't, I can't see how you get there. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, I, well, you say, I, I think you need to get there, though. You do. I, I think um, one of the big debates um, will be about sort of institutional versus retail yeah. when it comes to this stuff. And I think, you know, yes, start where we're starting, but we can't sort of rest for, for so long on this yeah. other stuff. Yeah. You know, so I think, um, yeah, I, I, you know, I think that's going to be a dividing line on, on this stuff. And it's something that needs sort of tackling and tackling soon. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. Um, I certainly did. Well out of time, yeah, yeah. Um, so no doubt we'll be talking a lot more about the consultation over coming weeks in the, in the episodes, but hopefully that was a good kind of overview of what's going on. Uh, and we will join you this week yep. uh, uh, with Greg McClymont, probably imminently. Uh, imminently well, I'm sure yeah, we're queued yeah, up yeah. in your, uh, your, your podcast listening app. And thanks again for your support. Please like, share, listen, tweet, comment, yeah. and send us an email at vfmpensions at gmail.com perfect till next time till next time